Hi guys, welcome back to Wildest Kruger's Stories. I'm Craig. And I'm Carolina. And as you all know, this is a podcast series covering conservation, wildlife photography, and just overall wildlife stories. <laughs> and stories from the bush. Stories from the bush. <laughs> Guys, I have to be a little bit honest with you uh, because we are bringing out the podcast a little bit late and we know that and we're sorry. Uh, we've just been crazy busy and we're going to get into that now. We've been spending a lot of time in the bush with guests and it just come off like a very busy season. Mm. But I have to be honest and say that there's been a few times where I've been like, oh, should we really continue with the podcast? Should we really do this? Like it's just sometimes it's one on my to-do list and it's just like one of those things where yeah. just have to get that done but what keeps me wanting to do it is all the messages from you guys where you say like oh, I found you through the podcast and loving the podcast and it's been awesome like please keep doing it yeah uh, that's why we're here and we keep doing mm. it even if we're a little bit late sometimes and I hope that's fine yeah uh, but We've said it a thousand times. This is just a passion project for us. We're not earning anything from this. But all the messages that you guys send us when you say you're loving the podcast, that's what keeps me motivated to do it. 100%. I think, yeah, it's... We were actually having a discussion about a week or so ago. And I said to Carolina, I said, well, listen, we don't we don't have to be super religious with it. But then, like, obviously, we've... I've got multiple messages. Carolina's got almost double the amount of messages that I did from the podcast and it's kind of like we almost get to a point where we feel like we're we're letting you guys down but it's not that um we we hope that you guys don't feel let down that when we're we're missing a week or so uh because really we are trying and if we if there is no podcast released on a certain day we do we're super sorry about that but it's it's there's a valid reason behind it it's either we're we're well there's only one reason behind it. it means we're really really busy we're with clients on to maybe lack of network and we're just overall busy and we don't have the time to sit down and do a podcast episode but so we're really sorry about that but we will find time to update the episodes yeah i think maybe they're just going to be a little bit unregular uh, at yeah, times irregular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. oh sorry irregular at times uh but it's just yeah and i just want to say like all the messages that you guys send send us like they mean so much 100%. and like that's what keeps us going and it's not it's not that we don't enjoy doing it it's just sometimes it's difficult to find the time and like we have so much else going on and so many things that we like have on our to-do list that some Sometimes I feel a little bit like, Oof, okay, should I, like, is this really my priority? But then, like, so just, like, getting to to that stage of, like, sitting down and actually yeah. doing it. But as soon as we sit down and we actually doing it, we're loving it so much. Exactly. We do enjoy it so 100%. much. It's just about finding the time to do it that sometimes it's a bit of a struggle. And that's why I have, like, the thought has crossed my mind, like, should we keep on doing this? But yeah, again, just the messages from you guys keeps us, mo- us motivated to keep And we're going. not going to stop doing it anytime soon. So no, rest no. at ease, guys. Definitely. Um, but for today, we want to chat a little bit about like what we've been up to and what has kept us so busy because we have some cool cool stories from... Very cool stories. Uh, our past few, few weeks in the bush. Mm. And then on that topic as well, we were thinking that we want to talk today about a little bit of the like different type of safaris that you can do because we find that people often struggle to see the difference of like okay 
what like I want to come on safari and the first thing that we ask is like okay but what kind of safari and how long and like there's so many different types of different ways of doing it I think I think so many people just think safari is safari like there's only one type of safari so going in depth they see I think what's happening is like the misconception is being made from (laughs) from Instagram um, and social media yeah because people see this cool stuff that's on uh, on social media and they're like wow i want to experience that but they don't really know that like especially on like our social media for example we've got different safaris happening mm. while seeing those different sightings that mm. our followers are seeing and i think um what we're going to do in this episode is we're going to break down all the different safaris that you can do yes Maybe not all of them because there's literally, but the important ones. (laughs) Yeah, like the the kind of to give you guys an idea of like, okay, what what are the options and what what can you look at because because it's such a it's such a completely different way of booking a trip. Mm. Uh, We've mentioned before, it's not like going to a European city where you book a hotel and then you look for some sightseeing stuff and some good restaurants to visit. Uh, It's a completely different way of doing it, and that's why we do what we do and help people book their safaris uh, and we just want to kind of help you guys figure out like what type of safari would be the best for you if yeah. that makes sense but before we jump into that we'll chat a little bit about the different type of safaris we have just done what we've just done because they yeah. all have been different in their own ways 100 mm, percent. so we'll start right at the beginning with the first one we did uh recently and i actually think we did do a podcast episode between these that has been released so bear with me uh but it was our first actual group workshop, mm. um, whereas you can actually find it on our social media on Wildest Kruger Safari's Instagram. We have our 2023 workshops that we've done and we've uploaded, we uploaded on that, um, the story highlights. So go have a look. And it's where we've taken different groups of people um, or different people and put them onto one group safari trip. And that's the first one we've ever done. And it was very, very successful. Um, and we found everyone was kind of very patient with each other. And that's what we need to co- encourage people to do as photographers when they go on these groups. Um, but it was, it was very successful, wouldn't you say? Yeah. So it was kind of, uh, you know, to explain to people, it wasn't like different people reaching out to us and we were just like, no, you guys must go in this group. Mm, yeah. It was more like, you know, we put these dates out and we said, these are how, is how many seats we have. And this is how many people are going to be allowed on this workshop and uh and you know that brings down the price quite a lot from a you know private Private safari and that's kind of the point of doing these group workshops because we are noticing that it gives people who maybe wouldn't be able to book a private safari give them a chance to go on on a safari with us and uh, so you do it's a whole group so you basically book your seat and you know you're going to be there with strangers so it's also a great way for people who are traveling alone who maybe like don't have friends who are into photography or like their partner isn't too keen on like a photographic safari. So, but you still want to do that type of thing. Uh, But you also don't want to be completely alone. Like this is a great way of still doing a safari together with other people. Um, so that's kind of how it works. People book their seat and, and then they join on this workshop. And I think we did mention in the last episode, we have had three different people who were traveling by themselves and then one couple that joined this Mm. specific workshop. And yeah, none of them knew each other from before. We had one, well, a few, three of them knew us from before and the other two had found us in social media. Yes, yeah. Uh, so it's a really uh, special, you know, special type of, of safari, 
but a fantastic way of meeting other people. Like-minded who, people. Yes, exactly. Mm. Uh, who are interested in photography. And we we see a lot of people from our workshops, like the ones I do in Tanzania, work the same way. And uh, people become friends and then meet up in their home countries if they live in the same country. Like some of the guests from my workshops have met up in the States, for example, and done their own thing together there, which is really, really cool to see. And, and uh, yeah, it's a beautiful beautiful thing well i think if you it's 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 naturally gonna happen isn't it i mean you put like-minded people in one place that are all there for one common goal um they're all generally gonna get along um and that is exactly what happened i don't think i could have asked for apologies about that duty calls um but i i don't think you're you're gonna go wrong and we were very fortunate with the group we had on that group workshop and it everything just flowed and they were incredibly patient and um it just incredibly eager to get out there and it was <laughs> it was so much fun yeah cuz like to get you know can i link this to the top of the topic that we're talking about uh obviously like the pros cuz we're going to talk a little bit about the pros and cons of all these different Absolutely. safaris that we're going to chat about and you know at the end of the day it comes down to uh you guys who are thinking about going on safari kind of comes down to you to figure out what do you want to prioritize and what are your cons that you can live with and the pros that you absolutely have to have there, if that makes sense. And I think the like big pros on a a group workshop, like a group workshop like this is that it definitely brings down the price because you are booking with a group of people and you're not booking privately. Uh, it uh, you know you are able to travel with other people even if you may be a single traveler and if you want to meet other people with the same interests like we've spoken about this is a great way to do so and also I what I enjoy about these workshops is that you have people coming with different experiences from photography and it's not just me teaching people photography even though I'm there as the photographic guide and the teacher and that is my you know big role and that is what I do yeah I still feel like I always learn something new from someone else and you know different ways of setting up your camera that I might know about not know about and whatever it might be we always like help each other out and you see different views and different styles of photography and you get inspired by each other and that is the whole idea and that's why we also call it like a workshop because you have all these different people coming together teaching each other essentially so that's the big uh, pros about the group workshops. I think the cons uh, would be that obviously it's a set date. You can't really adjust the date to how you want it. And it's a set schedule. Like this is how it's going to be mm. for this workshop. And you can't really change that and adjust it to your own liking. It's and also, sorry, okay. to you, but it's sure. also majority rules. Yes. So it's like the fact of if we're six people in the workshop and we go we at a leopard sighting for example mm-hmm. generally with photographers they want to sit as long as they want and that's what happened with us we had a magnificent leopard that we sat with for about an hour hour and a half but um if you have four people that want to leave the sighting and two that want to stay mm-hmm. unfortunately majority rules and we have to move on as is very different with a private workshop isn't it Exactly. In general, like you're going to have to be considerate to other people. And uh, I'll get to that, like how it kind of works, like as we are on the sightings and stuff. But I think just, you know, leading up to it and planning it and stuff, unless you add on your own thing afterwards, like obviously we have helped people do that. They will combine Mm -hmm. this with Mm -hmm. their private safaris as well, which is a great way to do it as well. But if you're only doing this, like the schedule is set, this is how it works and you have to be considerate to other people. And then as exactly like Craig is saying, you know, 
in the sightings, you might not be able to exactly decide what you personally want. You're going to have to, you know, discuss with the group and everything. Also, you know, you're in a vehicle, even though like I didn't find any issues because no. it's like an open vehicle. You don't, there was no issues of like not being able to get the shot, but it is always better to have the vehicle by yourself because you have so much more space to move and you're able to get the best seat every single time. You know, now we were kind of rotating and stuff and yeah. people were always still getting their shots, but it makes it, it's a little bit more inconvenient when you're sharing with, with six other people. Yeah, I think with it, like for me as a guide with having to position that vehicle, um, when there's three rows, mm. you know, it's, it's difficult to get all three rows their own angle, whereas there was one specific moment with... Uh, a one female leopard that was in a in a in a bush but only kind of one row could see at a time and i was having to move forward for each row to kind of get their shot and that was tricky because you have to as a group you have to remain patient whereas if you've got the private vehicle and to yourself you can i can position you and you only um where but that wasn't really an issue most of the time, was it? No, it actually worked out really nicely. Mm. And, and that's the thing. Like, it can be an issue, but it doesn't always become yeah. an issue. And I think that's the thing. I think it's just a matter of being aware of that and that that's what you're kind of giving up um, if, that, if a situation like that occurs. Um, it's important to be patient, doesn't it? Exactly. Like, just be patient with other people. Ever, other people also want the shots and, you know, you've got to be considerate of other people on the vehicle. Exactly. And sometimes, you know, someone might, you know, lift an arm right in front of you or something, you know, that, that kind of, it happens every now you and then. You travel on trains in Europe all the time. That happens constantly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the one you want to get a yeah, shot, yeah, yeah, obviously. Fair, fair. Um, but... I think that, you know, that's a thing. And it's the same thing with utilizing me as a teacher as well. Mm. Obviously, for the group workshops, I have to... Like, what I love about them is, as I said, we'll all learn from each other. And it's great because I'm able to, like, teach the whole group, which which is really cool. But I'm also having to adjust my, like, lectures and stuff to fit, uh, like, a broader spectrum mm. of uh, experience and you sometimes have people who are very very experienced in uh, in photography and that are looking for things like you know different composition ideas and you know more editing stuff and like more advanced things uh, while you also have the beginners who are just learning about shutter speed iso yeah. and aperture and having to kind of you know, adjust the lectures to try to fit all of those uh, people can be a little bit tricky sometimes. And um, that's what I try my best to be able to, you know, give everybody as much value as I can, depending on what level they're at. But obviously, as a, um, you know, as a guest on these workshops, you might not be able to get like the full utilized value of my full t attention during the workshops because I'm split between the group, if that yeah. makes sense. But um, that's kind of like the group workshops and uh, a little bit about them. And what you then can compare to is the workshop that we did just like a week later with a couple, uh, which was a private workshop. And then it was the same kind of setup and the yeah. same length of the stay, same place. But it was just for the two of them because they were celebrating their anniversary and wanted a private experience. Correct. And uh, I think the, the, the main difference there is exactly what we explained in the um is, is you have the vehicle to yourself so you i literally where whereas i have the group as the guide i normally say this is what we're doing today 
um, or on the specific drive. And when you have a private, it's like, right, here are the options. Mm. What do you want to do? Whereas on the group, I have to kind of make a call because I can't just let everyone have their own opinion and we'd never get anywhere. <laughs> but um, uh, with a private, I say, okay, this is what I'm thinking. Here's another option. Here's another option. Maybe throw three or four options to them and say, what do you guys want to look for? There were lion tracks over here, rhino tracks over there. There was a leopard there with a kill over there. What, what do you think? What are you guys thinking? Uh, and then you can put the ball in their court and, and that's the benefit of the private. Oh, yeah, let's go look for lions today. Okay, let's go track the lions. Mm. You know, um, so that's, you've got a lot more say on the experience uh, when it's private, wouldn't you say? No, absolutely. And I think the big thing is also that, as you said, you're able to park the vehicle specifically for just the one row, uh, you know, on this workshop as mm-hmm. well, even though it was two people, uh, it was the husband that was very into photography and the wife, she, she just she was She had there. the new iPhone 15, which is pretty <laughs> freaking cool. Absolutely. And she, she did get some really cool stuff with that one, but she wasn't there specifically for photography. She was like, I want him to be able to learn because yeah. he's very keen for this, but she didn't really, you know, she was just there for the experience. Um, so I was able to also focus like my full attention on him and help him exactly with everything and be able to see, you know, like there was a lot of times, you know, he was sitting in front of me. So there was a lot of times where I could just see the back of his screen and I could literally tell him, just bring your camera slightly down, slightly up or like a little bit to the left. Uh, And I could literally in real time be able to coach him exactly on what to do uh, because I could give, you know, put my full focus on him and, and get, like, help him get the shots, you know, as we're at the starting. While with a group, I'm, I'm having to talk much more in like general terms and try to help people depending on who's close, sitting closest to me uh, and like as we go. But it's not, it's not as easy to put my full attention on one per- person, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think you got like the guests have to be considerate to everyone else. So do you as a teacher. Mm. So do I as a guide. You know, I think every, there's just, it's more of a, when you're in a group, it's more of a general, a general thing. You yes. have to be, you have to speak more in general terms. You have to kind of, I would say it from our point of view as me, the guide, you, the photographic teacher, almost take control a little bit differently. Mm. Mm. Um, and be more leaders, I guess. More leaders. Mm. Whereas a private thing, it's like, okay, there's still, there's still do's and don'ts. Yes, not like, of course. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I want you to go crush that tree right now. No, you can't do that. Even no, though it's no. a private experience, but it's, it's, what it, the private it, we give you a lot more options when it's a when mm. it's a private experience and when over the group workshop we have to kind of i wouldn't say tell you what we're gonna do but we have to kind of we have to be a little bit more firm i guess yes and yes. put a little bit there's a little bit more framework uh, that we have to work within because it's a group yes if that makes sense uh, because as you say, we can't, we can't like go through everyone's opinions and try to find, you know, sometimes we'll do that depending on the situation, but, but it's much more, there's a lot more freedom with a private booking yeah. and a lot more up to the guest in a private booking. Yeah. Um, but so I think, oh, sorry. Also at the same, in the same breath, I think from a group point of view, I mean, you've got myself and Carolina's experience. So generally what we are saying does it, yeah, we generally do both on whatever the booking is like people yes. nine times out of 10 are like, Whatever you think, go. go you know? <laughs> exactly. Um, no, but I think I think that's the main differences between the two the two like the private together with the group yes. workshop. Um, that's also I think what we're talking about now as well is the private 
you know, it's a private guided experience with us. Mm. Uh, we're also talking about being in the private reserves, uh, which is very different. We're going to get to that now as well. Uh, you know, that's the private reserve. We're allowed to off-road. Uh, we're at a private lodge where, you know, the meals are really nice and the accommodation is really nice. Uh, we are able to head out before sunrise, after come back after sunset. Which There's is, no set times that gates open and close. Exactly. And we were able to head out and do some star photography. Uh, you know, after the, dinner, yeah. After dinner in the middle of the night and those kind of things, uh, which is the freedom the private reserves bring. Uh, and that's what, you know, what we recommend if that's what you're looking for, that then the private reserves and the greater Kruger is what you will need to go to. But then you also have the private reserve experiences, but without us private guiding you, which is also different. Absolutely. The private reserve experience is obviously, like Carolina said, not with us. And it's not necessarily photographically focused. Yeah. It's generally, you've contacted us saying, oh, I'm thinking about doing a, a safari. Then our next question, our follow-up question is, all right, do you want to do you want to do it with us? Mm. Um, sometimes most people that have contacted us through the podcast are like, oh, no, I want to go with you. I feel like I know you. Or yeah. through Carolina <laughs> through the Instagram Oh, I want to go with you. You guys, you you sound like you have a lot of fun on your trips. So, and that's 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 generally when we link that up. But if people just contact us randomly saying, "Oh, I heard heard of you from a friend of a friend," um, or we found your website, we want to go here and here. We're thinking about Kruger, and then people are like, "You don't really understand where to go in Kruger." I just help them with a few questions, saying, "Oh, what do you mainly want to see? This, that, just a few couple of a uh, couple of questions." And then I throw a couple of options on where fits your requests best in mm. the Kruger. And then we decide from there. And then I arrange, I can arrange transfers for you once you've landed at the airport. And uh, then you go on your safari experience. And those are, they, those, that you, unless you've booked a private vehicle as well through me, which costs extra, you'll probably be with other guests on the vehicle. Yeah, so that's a different that's a different side of it where, you know, where we don't join on the trip. Yeah. We don't guide you and we're not there from start to finish unless you request Have requested that. it, yeah. Uh, but then we just plan the safari, or mostly Craig, I'm not really much <laughs> a part of the planning, but sometimes you ask for my advice. But yeah. um, you, we will plan the safari, book everything for you, sort everything out for you, but you will most likely not meet us unless... Uh, schedules align and we're able to if, do so if i'm around i'll always like i have a thing like if i'm around i try meet clients yeah. you know i'll do a tr at least one of the transfers just introduce myself maybe have a lunch with them yeah um and then but sometimes it just doesn't work out yeah so sometimes you might not even meet us we just plan the whole thing uh but you know you're still able to go on your safari mm. but the key thing here is like craig mentioned like you will go to maybe you know the private lodges and the private reserves and you get the full experience like we were just talking about being able to off-road and you have your guide and tracker and like it's a really really good experience but the downside here, especially for a photographer, is that you might be on the vehicle with other people who mm. have booked, you know, at the same lodge overlapping with your stay. Um, and, and then you might be a vehicle with like six other people and maybe two of them are birders. Maybe two of them are just there on their honeymoon. And then there you are <laughs> as a photographer and you want to sit for you know, two hours at the sleeping lions waiting for them to wake up at the beautiful golden light. But the other people, they see the lion sleeping and they're happy and they want to go. Yeah. You know, that's 
that's kind of the the things that you are sacrificing and another thing that i know frustrates so many photographers when you go on trips like that is that during golden hour in the afternoon you stop for a sundowner which is a south african thing it's south african thing. tradition to have a drink and watch the sun go, I think it's go a down safari tradition it's a safari thing yes it's a safari, safari thing. tradition um but you know you stop for a drink and you watch the sun go down and it's beautiful it's such an awesome experience and people love it but a photographer is like so antsy because you're like but it's golden hour like i want to be out there photographing something yeah uh, it so, also depends i think what your level of photography is really. oh absolutely absolutely but you know that's something we we know a lot of photographers get frustrated with so that is some of those things that you have to kind of consider you know what i mean and just keep in mind when you're booking these safaris no 100 um i think the 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 worst I've ever like the worst combination you can have on a vehicle just in case you guys are knowing is like I love birders I love photographers and uh, you know box tickers they're okay it's doable but there's nothing special about someone that just comes and ticks the boxes you know yeah. what I'm saying like uh, they can be great people and all but I mean it's it's pretty easy guiding they just here to see this animal that animal that animal and then that's the last time they're ever going to come on safari um, but like if you put those three together, yeah, you know, it's the worst combination in the world because you've yeah. got hardcore birders, you've got box tickers, and you've got photographers. <laughs> My goodness, you've got the people who are just looking for feathers, not fluff. Yeah, and you're looking for the people, the people who are just looking for fluff, not feathers, and then you've got the people who want to stop at the Impala in the Golden Light. Exactly, <laughs> where people are, just, where the others are just like, oh, I'd really, I'd really love a, go- a gin and tonic right now. We've seen seventeen thousand other Impalas. <laughs> but what they don't understand is, from a photographic point of view, that is the Impala. Yeah, that Impala in the Golden Light is the Impala. It is as big as a leopard. Whereas, and and you know what? Every even the photographers were there at one point. Mm. Photographers. Wildlife photographers didn't just become wildlife photographers. They were box tickers once upon a time. And they were like, yes. okay, cool. Let's just go see this. Let's take... But... And I think I would also encourage photographers to just remember where they were once upon a time yeah. as well. Especially if it's someone's first safari experience. But that's just the clashes you could potentially have when you don't book... If you're a photographer and you don't book, like, a private experience. And a specifically photographic mm. experience. Mm. And then also you might get a guide who do not know how to park for photography. Correct. So that's the thing. We obviously, if people are photographers, we try to send them to places and request guides that we know, know photographers and know how to guide photographers. But that's not always possible. It's it's only so much we can do. Like, I mean, if you don't want us, like, I mean, there's only so much I can do. I can try my best for that property to arrange for a guide, but they they might have their, their best photographic guide might not be of my standard. Yes, exactly. And they'll say, you know, we've got him. He's here. And I'll be like, okay, cool. Um, that's fine. And that's why I like to use properties that I'm on very good terms with and mm. I actually know the guides. Mm. But over everything, I would like to do it myself. Yeah, because... And that's the thing, because we kind of perfectionists that, that way, especially with you I when it comes anal to... anal about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but when it comes to, like, vehicle positioning and park- parking and, like, you know, seeing animal movements and how to approach them to get the shots, all of that kind of stuff, you know, I'm probably partial, but you are the best I, I know. Thank you very much. But you're yeah, probably a bit biased. I know there's a very, very, very good guards out there as <laughs> yeah, well. Thank absolutely. you very much. But I'll never forget the one trip we were on. I remember we, we, we just did a little couple trip. We are still working in the lodges. And um, there was a sunrise. 
and that pride of lions was walking down the airstrip. Oh my and we word. decided to walk behind them Yo. and follow them. It's an airstrip. It's easy to get around this pride of lions. Mm. So easy. The mm. airstrip's like 30 meters wide. <laughs> you would not disturb the lions. It's not like you're going to be crushing. They were walking straight down the airstrip and we were following behind them. Yeah. Looking at their asses. <laughs> Whereas you could easily have gone around and gone all the way down the airstrip and got these far angled shots of this pride just walking in the golden hour on this uh, open field. On this, on this yeah. airfield, it would have been... Fantastic. An immaculate sighting. But our guide was not a photographically orientated guide. And the sighting was great. It was nice. We were following these lions. I think they were roaring a bit. I can't really remember the, uh, the situation. This was long ago, but yeah, I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, and it was great. And everyone else on the vehicle was having a really good time. But from a photographic point of view, I know if we had sent one of our professional, well, well let's say top photographers mm. that have come with us before and they, they would have said they would have written that in feedback yes. they would have had it and said this is a disappointing experience you could have got so much more out of that sighting mm. um and that's the big difference between photographic guiding and normal guiding i think we have spoken about this before big difference. but i big, think big some difference. people don't always realize how big that difference is because you know when you are on when you're on a drive with a photographic guide it looks so easy and that's a thing if someone makes it look easy it's because they've worked really hard to make it look that way and that's a thing when you do this it looks so easy and you don't really as a guest you don't really notice the mm. difference that craig does in like how he parks the vehicle differently to how a non-photographic guide would park it until you actually go with a non-photographic guide and then you really notice the difference and trust me i have been there and I get so frustrated when we are on non-photographic trips and, and, you know, and I have to just bite my tongue and not say anything. <laughs> I think uh, I've, been, I've been shut out by Carolina multiple times that I've had to learn. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, definitely. Um, but but it, you know what I mean? And I think not, people don't really realize it because, as you say, like another thing that I, I would think about in a situation like that is that you would very often or most of the time you would try to, you know, drive the vehicle uh, quite far down so you actually have the lines quite far away and then you would First. stop and then you would stop the car maybe even turn it off so that you're steady on the camera mm. and you're able to get photos or even videos especially if we have a video videographer we would stop the vehicle so that you get them walking towards you and then before they too close and passing you again you would then drive again try to get uh, you know further down and get them walking towards you again while someone who doesn't know this and wouldn't think about these things and are just a normal normal guide and doesn't know photo photography would probably just continue driving and like keep the car driving and being, you know, try to be constantly kind of close to the lines and not really drive ahead because you mm. would feel like, oh, we too far away from them now. And that makes a big difference for a photographer. It really, really does to not constantly be moving unless you have to, to keep up with animals. Sometimes I'm a, I, it may come across as I'm a bit cocky um, because like, they'll be like, no, Craig, you can stop here. And I say, no, <laughs> I know what shot you want. I'm not stopping here because you're not going to get the shot you want here. Yeah. Um, and then you drive on because a lot of people you'll end up right next to the animal that's walking parallel to the road or on yes. a game path. And I can see the animals walking on a game path. And I know where the game path comes out on the road. Mm. You know, you want to stop. You don't want to block off the game path so the animal can't cross. But you want to either be just behind or just in front of that game path still so the animal has enough. It feels comfortable enough to cross the road. Mm. But you still want to line up that animal 
perfectly for the photographer. And the photographer, nine times out of 10, you get into a clear space and the animal's walking on a game path and it's kind of sort of facing you, but it's not 100% that face on view. Mm. And they're like, stop, 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 stop. And you're like, no, I can this is a good shot, but I can get you a better one. Yeah. And then you go up to where the game path is. And again, I say, if guides are listening out here, don't ever stand, sit on the game path because then the animal can't cross. Yeah. And the animal gets to the road and is maybe feeling a bit intimidated if it's an insecure leopard or some animal or just go a little bit further to angle the car a bit away or go a little bit before but you can read the situation within the vegetation and what's happening in the field mm. but yeah and sorry no but that's a great example mm -hmm. of like you know especially when you on the first time as a photographer on safari and you just want to get shots of everything and like you're seeing a leopard for the first time you just want to get something you don't want to get yeah. the, you know you're just like oh here's a gap i just want to get a shot but i promise you that you're gonna get that shot you're gonna take that photo and then you're gonna get the shot that that craig is positioning you for and you're gonna just delete the first photo exactly it's not you know you're not even gonna keep that first photo because you're gonna get the photo of the leopard walking straight towards you and that's what you want and uh, you know then sometimes it's obviously cool to get photos from the side and everything but it kind of depends on the situation but i think these are the kind of things that you as a photographic guide think about and that some people don't always notice that you position that way Yeah, I think like for another another perfect example is, you know, get standard guests versus photographic guests. So standard guests, you know, a lot of the time, um, okay, you've got, for example, we had it now recently, lions, for example, we mm. had a beautiful male lion next to the road on the most recent workshop where the lion um, stood up and walked down the road. And because we had photographic guests with us, mm. I reversed. Yes. Because you constantly want that shot of that animal walking down the road. But standard safari guys, I probably do that once. Let mm. them take the photo of the animal coming down the road, and then eventually just let it walk past us because that's also standard, cool it's cool. It's a cool experience to have a lion walk past your car. Mm. But photographer versus standard safari guy, safari guy wants that like oh my word, a lion just walked past my car, mm. and I was half a meter or less from one of Africa's largest predators. Mm. Whereas the photographer wants the shot of that animal looking down the lens, walking straight towards yes. towards you. And that's just different approaches that standard guide versus photographic guide. And it's small things that really mm. make a difference. No, it definitely does. But yeah, enough about like the photographic and guiding and standard guiding like difference. As we said, we have a full, I think we have a full podcast about this. <laughs> um, but we've been talking about, you know, so far we've been talking about the private reserve. Yeah. I think we've, we've covered a bit there. You know, there's obviously different areas in the private yeah. reserves and we do have a podcast about that as well. Uh, so scroll down about, you know, the greater Kruger reserves and our opinions on them. Uh, because there is a big difference there as well of like Correct. which area you should go to to see what animal and what type of like experience you want and so on but we're not going to go too deep into that but these are the kind of uh, these are the kind of experiences you can expect in the different type of, of safari you can do in the private reserve but then we have the Yeah, national park itself and we've spoken about this before but for anyone who might not know might be, be confused you have the National Park itself is what's called Kruger National Park. And that is what's owned by the state or, uh, you know, the it's South African government. government um, and it's government run uh, by a organization called South African National Parks. So uh, that runs the Kruger National Park and that is open to the public. Obviously not just driving through whenever you want without rules for free. Uh, you know, you do pay money, but 
it is open to the public and you don't have to stay inside of the park to be able to go in for a day drive or whatever it is. And it's much more accessible to the public of South Africa, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And, and this, it comes with, again, some pros and cons here. Because the national park and the safaris that you would experience there are very different to the safaris you would experience in the private reserves. Uh, we just did uh, our last one now, our last uh, trip now with this little busy period that we had, was a seven-day trip into the national park itself. Yeah. And why I want to use this as an example is because we've had these three different trips and they've been different in so many ways, but they actually really good examples of the different experiences that you can get. And uh, this one was also, it's a private experience. We had one guest and she's a photographer. She's a very, very good photographer and she knows exactly what she's doing when it comes to photography. But what she wanted was us as guides so that she gets that photographic experience and uh, photographic knowledge and knowledge of the animals and, you know, how to set herself up for the best shots. Mm. Um, And that's why she booked with us. She also wanted a longer experience. And this is what we often get from more uh, seasoned photographers who've been on safari before. They prefer a, you know, longer stay with less luxury accommodation uh, for it to to be able to maximize their chances of getting different types of photos, if that makes sense. And that's what you can get in the national park itself. It is the accommodation is, is much more affordable and that's why you're able to stay for longer for the same amount of price as you would stay, you know, a shorter stay in the air. Uh, greater Kruger and the private reserves and we're generally doing those experiences in our company car which is a Toyota Fortuner a lot of people would be like why aren't you doing it in one of those safari vehicles Mm. what you need to realize is yes if we have uh, the open vehicles are great and all standard safari go brilliant Mm. but from a photographic point of view they're high Mm. so you don't get those that low angle feel um that you would in a lower car and if I actually could do it, I would actually get a smaller car <laughs> so yes. you can get even lower. But then it becomes a lot more bumpy if you're driving the dirt roads and stuff. So I think the Fortuner that our company has is actually just the perfect medium. Uh, it's spacious and it's, it's, it's a comfortable drive on the dirt roads um, and low enough to get that low angle feel from a, phot- a photographic point of view. So if you're a photographer... I would strongly advise you not to go with those open vehicles in the Kruger National Park because the sides are quite high. Now, in the private sector, I want to bring up, they don't have those sides and you can get still low angle shots because they are, they're actually smaller open vehicles and lower. Mm. Um, But the ones in the National Park itself have to have a roof and they have to have railings that almost come up to your, your, just below your shoulder. And from a photographic point of view, that's just too high. Yes. It's just it's just too high in our opinion. Yeah, and the only the only negative side were the closed vehicle uh, that we use. So for anyone who don't know what a Fortuner is, because that's a South African vehicle, um, it's a standard SUV. Yeah. Um, it's a normal SUV. So you know the only negative thing with that is that obviously it's a closed car so you have to kind of like lean a little bit out of the you know window obviously not too much you can't lean too much out um because of the animals and everything but you need to lean a little bit out of the window you it's difficult to shoot birds because you've got the roof yeah. and those are the kind of negative sides of it 
But as Craig mentioned, even with the open vehicles in the Kruger itself, you're going to have the same problem because you have a roof and you're not going to be able to get as low. So here is kind of like, these are the kind of things that you are uh, having to consider. And when you're thinking about pros and cons. It's the pros and cons. And uh, these are the kind of things that you have to take into consideration when you're picking your safari that, yes, um, you know, you're able to go in the national park is, itself uh, for a longer period of time. But the accommodation is not going to be as luxury, which some people don't really mind. So, you know, then that's great. But uh, you're going to be able, you're going to have to be in a closed vehicle uh, and you that's not always going to be the mo- the ultimate option for photography, uh, which and is you just can't off-road. you can't off road. So that's what I was going to get to. You can't off road. You have to stick to the roads and uh, you sometimes have tar roads, which a lot of photographers get frustrated with, understandably so, because it doesn't look as natural. And uh, there is dirt roads as well. And we try to drive on them as much as possible when we have our guests. But, you know, sometimes we have to drive on the tar and you get a sighting on the tar and that's just the reality of it. Life. And uh, you also are dealing with the public uh, because it's an open public park. Uh, you know, sightings can get busy. We're not always able to get into the best photographic position because there is vehicles in the way. You get sometimes vehicles in the backgrounds of your shots. You know, all of those kind of things are things that you just have to give up when you are opting out for the more affordable uh, national park experience, if that makes sense. Ideally, from a photographic point of view, if you're traveling on a budget and you are wanting to use maximum amount of your budget on stay where you could potentially get good shots do both mm. um in my opinion um combine three a three night stay in the private sector along with a seven night stay in the national park and a lot of people are going to say oh yeah but oh, how do you move big lenses and stuff in the car you know maybe we won't get the shots this that the other thing Anyone that feels like in the national park, you can't get the shots due to the car being the car. Just go look at Carolina's Instagram. I mean, (laughs) I would probably say 75% of what she's got on there have come from the national park. So yeah, uh, the the car is not the problem. Yes, it is an issue from time to time. It is. It is something you have to get used to. But again, that's that's the reality of of opting out for the cheaper option exactly you know these this is just you can't have it all this is the reality of that and as craig says what we then recommend people is to get best of both worlds and have a shorter stay at the end of your trip in the private sector sector so that you get that but you get the bulk of your trip in the national park yourself and because you're you're there for a longer amount of time you do get a lot of good uh, photographic opportunities. You just kind of have to work around uh, the car and have to work around the thing with other vehicles and uh, not off-roading and all of those kind of things, but it is very much possible. You just need to be patient. And, you know, like I said, this... This is the reality of booking that. If you don't want that, then you, you're going to have to cash out the money for the private reserves. Mm-hmm. That's just the reality of it. Uh, but what I do love about Kruger is that we have these options. You know, we are able to go on the like budget safari and you're able to get a really cool experience. And still you can cover so many different landscapes mm-hmm. and different um, habitat types. So Absolutely. you can go from where in the private sector, you're generally holding up in one smaller section of the greater Kruger, whereas in the national park, if I want to follow a road that goes a hundred Ks that goes from rocky outcrop mountainy area to open plains where you're seeing herds of 
30, 40, 50 zebra, mm. you can do that. Yeah. Whereas the private sector, there's traversing rights here and there. And the private sector, again, I've, I speak quite highly of the private sector. It's amazing because everyone's in radio contact and um, you're, you're, you can off-road with all those other benefits. The national park is... If you want to do distance, you can do distance. And also, you know, the one thing that we forgot to mention about the negative side of the National Park mm. is that you have gate times. So oh, you yeah. can only get out, you know, the gates open right at sunset in the mornings and they close at sun, sorry, sunrise in the morning, sunset in the evening. Um, and that's, you're only allowed to be out in between those times and you can't head out before sunrise to, you know, get to a spot at golden hour. Like, and that can be really frustrating, especially for a photographer. Sometimes in the evening, you might find something uh, just before sunrise and you want to wait for the perfect light, but you have to leave because you need to get back to the gate at time, mm. uh, in time. So that is frustrating. But at the same time, you also, you do have freedom in between those times you have a lot of freedom of like sitting and waiting at a sighting because there's no such thing as on some of the private reserves, not all of them, but some of the private reserves, you have to sometimes give space for another vehicle yeah. and you can only be there for 10 or 15 minutes. Correct. And you have to like, that's your time to view the animal and then you have to move on, you know, in the private, in the national park itself, there's no such thing. You, mm-hmm. you park at a spot and you can sit there the whole day if you want to. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's the very positive side of it. Um, and as Craig says, you can also cover big distances and, you know, see different areas of the park, which is really, really cool to to experience. Absolutely. I think, you know, it's just, it's gone parking in the national park. You just park a little bit off the road, you know, don't block the road. <laughs> oh, no. oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, but okay. Yeah, don't park in the middle of the road and be like, I'm going to sit here. Obviously, you have it's to be my, considerate about other people. It's one of my um, pet hates. It's one of Craig's big pet peeves uh, when people park in the middle of the road at a sighting and you know it just becomes a big mess and traffic but i think you know those are the two kind of uh or two three <laughs> like different types yeah. of safaris you can look for and um and i think it's important for people to like understand this and and uh, know these differences because it's not just a safari and then you just go on safari like how does much does a safari cost and i just want to go on safari it's it completely depends on what you want and yeah. uh what you want what your experience you know the experience you're looking for your expectations what animals do you want to see and what like what animals do you want to see how many of them do you want to see and what do you want them to be doing like let's say your only goal is i just want to see leopards and i want to see them climb trees and kill shit like then we're gonna have to send you to specific reserves where you have the best chances of seeing that. Yeah, and then there's still no guarantees. Still no the, guarantees. That's the, that's the big thing with safaris. There's yeah. never any guarantees. All we can guarantee is we're gonna try our hardest and we're gonna work as hard as we can to mm. get you to see those sightings. But you know, it's it's never it's never guaranteed. No. Um, no matter what the case may be. So yeah. I think we use this example a lot, but we. We used to get uh, at several of the different properties we worked at. You know, cheetah is a is a very rare commodity in in Kruger and uh, in the Kruger area in in general. And there's only specific like areas of Kruger where you have like not like good cheetah sightings, and they're still not guaranteed. 
but there was so often we would get people who have just booked through an agent and the agent have just sent them to the nicest lodge and they've just been like, oh, this looks great, you know, go there. And then they arrive and one of the first things you ask to just kind of create conversation and can I get to know them is like, oh, so what animals are you guys keen to see? What would you love to see? And they're so often they would be like, cheetah. I want to see a cheetah. That is my biggest dream that's like i really want to see a cheetah on safari that's why i wanted to go on safari and like cheetah is my top animal and you have to tell them that sorry we haven't seen cheetah here in 15 years like literally we do not get cheetah in this area and you know the chances of you see them here is next to zero uh and that's just you know that's heartbreaking to be able to, to have to say and that's because the agents don't know the area they are sending the people to and they don't bother easy, to ask. It's easy to sit um, in your apartment in New York and go like, oh yeah, I know this place. Kruger's Kruger. Yeah, exactly. It's not the case at all. Funniest is when the guest would come and be like, oh, so when was the last time you saw Cheetah here? 12 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's... That's like the there are places that you can go. And see Cheetah. And see Cheetah. You could see Cheetah where we've worked, where we also said like 12 yeah. years ago, we saw Cheetah. You can see Cheetah that afternoon. But... The chances are minimal. Chances are minimal, but there are places you can go to where the chances are better. Yes. Um, better by tenfold. Yes. Than that specific lodge that these people were sent to mm. by their agent. That's it. Yeah. They know they 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 see cheetah. Exactly. Um. It was. I remember one of the reserves. They've actually changed their uh, logo since then, but the logo was a cheetah, <laughs> and they just didn't like half of the reserve barely ever saw cheetah. And I think that's why they changed the logo. It's changed like, to a leopard now, am I right? It's a lion. It's a lion, yeah, sorry, Which makes so lion. much more sense. <laughs> so much more sense. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, oh, they have a lo- Like, their logo is a cheetah. Surely they must they see must cheetah. They must see cheetah. And, you know, it was kind of misleading. Uh, but they've changed it to a lion now, which I think is great. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like, you, you, these are the kind of questions we ask people. Like, what do you want to see... And like for photographers as well, like what's your dream shot? Like we're not going to be guaranteed to to get this shot, but if you have a specific shot in mind that you really want to get, then let us try to send you to an area where that might be possible. Yeah. You know, that's kind of what we, we want to set you up for this most successful safari for what you are looking for. And, you know, that's that's kind of all we do. No, exactly. And yeah, so now you guys just have a bit of an insight on like different safaris and because I think what well, the reason for this podcast was basically just because we get we've got quite a lot of questions of like, I want to go on safari, and just the difference of the. I'm hundred percent sending this podcast to like linking this podcast to anyone who messages me and like, hey, I want to go on safari. How does it work? Here, you listen go. <laughs> to this. Find an hour and listen to this podcast. I think it's just yeah. yeah you know you, now you have a bit of aspect on how we operate and why we operate the way we do. And if you've booked with us before and you're listening is why we sent you to a specific spot because mm. we've kind of got a bit of a, you've given us the information and we've done this for you but i want to add on there as well because we're talking about different areas and stuff and obviously like the guarantee like there's no guarantees and like the best chances of different areas and so on and i was thinking about something today um because we went on the first group workshop, uh, you know, to the same part of Kruger in the same place as we then went on a private workshop, just like, it was just like a week later. Mm-hmm. And the very interesting thing that I thought about when we were there was how different the, how different the experience was, even though it was the same place, the yeah. same amount of time, you know, us guiding and everything. It was just a week in between. 
And one of the biggest biggest things that changed was that we had rain in between and, and that changed the landscape a little bit and it changed the dynamics movements, of the animals a little bit yeah. and movements and so on. But also another interesting thing is that, you know, talking about areas that are good for certain animals, uh, that area is usually very good for wild dogs. And, you know, it is something that we say, like, yes, we don't see cheetah there, but wild dogs are really good uh, sightings there. But we didn't see wild dogs on the first workshop that we had. Uh, we didn't have any wild dog sightings. They were just not in the area. They had moved out of the area, which happens with wild dogs. They move far distances and they don't really stick to one place. Uh, but then just a week later, they came back into the area. And on our second workshop with the, the private workshop, we had amazing wild dog sightings of yeah. puppies playing with each other and running around, being able to photograph them. Getting chased by elephants. Getting chased by elephants. We saw that as well. And the elephants then got angry at us because they were angry at the wild dogs. Uh, so, you know, that was fun. But that we, you know, that was a big difference. But at the same time, you know, with that being said, we only had one leopard sighting on the second workshop. Mm. Uh, multiple, wild... but it was a leopard on a kill. So there were multiple different situations of that one leopard sighting. Yes, you're right. It was several. It was several sightings of the same leopard because she was on a kill and she stayed there. So we went back, but uh, but you know we didn't have as many leopard and many mm. different leopard sightings as we did with the first workshop. So that was a big difference. Uh, but then we also on the first workshop we managed to see rhino. We had a beautiful mm. sighting of rhino. But on the second workshop we you were tracking for hours together with Peter, uh, and you couldn't find. Rhino. So that's kind of how, you know, sometimes you can be in a good area and it's just sometimes things just change and it just doesn't work out. Um, so, you know, that's kind of kind of how it works sometimes. And it's it's just about sometimes it's just about luck. No, 100 percent. And I think we were on both workshops. We were very, very lucky. Uh, or actually all three workshops because we did three. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I think it was we were very, very lucky in every single aspect. But, you know, sometimes Mother Nature's just one of those one of those things where if you right place right time absolutely but i think the big thing there is to kind of appreciate the things that you do see mm -hmm. instead of focusing on like one animal uh, which like all of our guests 100% did like appreciate what we saw but it was just interesting seeing that difference between the different um workshops and sometimes it's just about uh you know you're going to see this but you're not going to see that and then next time you'll see that but not this yeah, and it's just all because of a little bit of rain that happened. All because of a little bit of rain. <laughs> all right, guys, I think that's going to be it for this episode. Hope you guys enjoyed our chat about the various different safaris and a couple of cool stories that happened on these safaris recently. Yeah, and I hope this kind of clears out, you know, what type of safaris can you go on and what's the difference between them all. Uh, and as always, you know, any questions, like, hit us up. You know where to find us. And thanks again for all the feedback on the podcast lately. It's really, uh, it's awesome to hear from us. You guys are legends. <laughs>